Two more weeks at McNichol. I'm excited, though, that we get to move in two weeks to OB Johnson. Curvins came to visit us today. And uh, I'm glad you're over here, Curvins. I don't know what it is, man, but people pick one side of the room and they sit on it. I don't know what it is. So then we got this empty side right here. Thank you, Jay. I love you, brother. I don't know what it is, man. They, they, they do. Oh, well, we're continuing our series in Joseph. We've been, uh, we're five weeks into our series. The series is called Life's Pain and God's Purpose. And last week, Pastor Ronnie came down from West Palm and he talked about um, what it looks like to find God in the midst of deep, deep brokenness in your life in very broken situations. Can you all affirm that we are broken people living in a broken world? Okay, so we're on the same page. Today, the sermon is titled Sojourn. Seeking the city that is to come. And I really fit perfectly. I love how the Lord does this because today we're going to show you our new logo for the church. And our name of our church is New City Fellowship. And uh, we're, we're talking about sojourning to the new city. Um, what happens next in the story is that Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And they didn't know it was him, and now they know it's him. And Joseph is very loving and forgiving and very, very much taking care of them. And, uh, and there's a lot of healing that happens between Joseph and his brothers. And that healing happens over many years. We're going to cover that reconciliation and healing process next week because it really happens in two parts in the story. So I don't think we're going to skip that, but I want to end there because it really is a beautiful thing how it happens. But today we're going to cover a part of the story where word gets back to Jacob, Joseph's dad, and says, Jacob, you got to come and live with your son, Joseph, in Egypt because there's famine in Canaan. There's nothing for you there. And, um, and you need to go and let your son take care of you. So Jacob, who's from this family of people who sojourn, you know what sojourn is? Can you guys say sojourn? Sojourn. It's, it means to travel. It's, it's a pilgrim. It's someone who doesn't have a home. Jacob comes from a family of sojourners. And now, after settling in the promised land, the land that God had said you're going to live in, he's called again to sojourn to a foreign land. So we jump in the story. And in this part of the story, Israel is beginning his journey. Israel is Jacob. So Israel, Jacob, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, Genesis 46. And there he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob said, here I am. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Jacob set out from Beersheba, all his offspring he had brought with him into Egypt. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, Jacob, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and fathers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks out and their herds and all that they have. 
And Joseph said to his brothers, when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell, both we and our fathers. And Joseph tells them that because Pharaoh will allow them to dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Chapter 47, verse 5 says, Joseph went to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land and let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of of the years of your life. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh And then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. And when the time drew near that Israel... Jacob must die. He called his son Joseph and said to him, Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we pray that you would get into our heads this morning and that where we are settled, you would change our mindset to that of being a sojourner, that you would transform us as we hope in things that are way too shallow, that you would give us a greater, grander, stronger hope in you and in the home that you have prepared for us, Lord. Be with me as I share the word. I pray that we would all be changed by the presence of your spirit among us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So I told you that a week ago, my wife and I went to Philadelphia. We went to an urban church planting conference there. People from around the country came and we, we discussed what it looks like to plant a church in an urban context, in a multicultural, multi-ethnic context. Uh, in a context where you're caring for those who are poor and vulnerable. And it was awesome. We had a great time. I was so encouraged by getting to be around men and women from around the country who also were doing similar things to us and love the Lord and care about his church. It was amazing. Uh, But my wife and I stayed in a hotel in downtown Philadelphia, right next to where the conference was. And it was really fun to be in the city. Philadelphia is a cool city. It's very old, whereas South Florida is very new compared to Philadelphia. So it was fun just to walk around and and see all the brick buildings and and just kind of take it all in. But we were only in the hotel for two nights. We flew up on a Thursday and left on a Saturday. We just were passing through. We were sojourning, sojourning, if you will. Uh, And um, 
you know, when I got to the hotel, let me tell you what I didn't do. I didn't bring all my earthly possessions with me. How crazy would it have been if I had walked through the hotel lobby and following behind me was a cart with my dresser and my clothes and my bookshelves and my books and all my, uh, you know, electronics and TVs, everything in my house, my mattress and, and my bed, all my children's toys. And I had walked up to the counter and said, ding, uh, homeless room for two, please. That person would have looked up at me as if I was crazy. They would have looked up at me like, man, what are you doing? Are you moving in? Are you settling in here? Just equally as crazy would have been, let's just say that I didn't show up with all that stuff, but I came without my earthly possessions and I went up to the counter and I said, homeless room for two. And they said, well, we have a room for you on the 10th floor. And I said, what? that doesn't really work for me. I really want a room on the ninth floor. And because you don't have a room for me on the ninth floor, I'm gone. Maybe someone could see that, but what about this? What if they had said, sir, we have a continental breakfast for you every morning. I said, you know, I don't really want a continental breakfast. I want a breakfast that has a little bit more meat in it and, and a full breakfast. And so because you can't meet my preference, I'm out of here. You know what, I know that you have a business center and there's seven computers in the business center, but I really wanted a business center with nine computers. And so I'm gonna check out, I'm gonna check out. Both of those are ridiculous illustrations. And I hope you go, what is he talking about? Because as Christians, we are sojourners. This is not our home. We are not permanently placed on this earth. And yet Christians do one of two things. They settle in or they check out. Christians settle in or they check out. And by that, I mean, we act as if this is our permanent home. Just, as like, just like it would have been ridiculous for me to enter in that hotel with all my earthly possessions, acting as if it was my home, it is crazy for Christians to think as if this is our permanent home. Equally as crazy is when we treat the world like it's supposed to meet all our preferences. When we look at the culture and say, it is supposed to perfectly align with my values as a Christian. The Lord never promises that. He tells us that our identity is that of a traveler, a pilgrim, a sojourner, someone who is not living in their home. That is the mindset that we are supposed to embrace as followers of Jesus. And although that's not comfortable, it's what we're called to. And the chances are that if you have adopted a mindset of settling in, you are frustrated. Because following Jesus and being a sojourner does not go together with personal comfort. There's just no way that you can be personally comfortable throughout your whole life and follow Jesus. And so if you've tried to settle in, you're frustrated and you're not holding on to this life loosely. But on the other side, if you engage the world and say, this is supposed to be my home and so it's supposed to line up with all my preferences and all my values, you're, you're, you're probably growing fearful and cynical right now. Yeah. Because although I would argue the culture has never been Christian, it's becoming less and less friendly towards those who follow Jesus. 
So it's becoming harder and harder to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus in this culture. The opposition is growing. And so if you have this mindset that the culture is supposed to meet all your preferences, the chances are that you're growing more fearful and cynical. And the chances are you aren't loving your neighbors very well because you want your neighbors to meet your preferences before you love them. We are called as followers of Jesus to have a sojourner mindset, to not think about this life with permanency or that it's going to meet our preferences. Jacob's family was a family of sojourners, and he defines himself that way twice in the story. He comes from a family that started off in Iraq, moved to Turkey, then lived in modern-day Israel before migrating to Egypt. His family has been all over the place. In fact, Hebrews 11 describes his family this way. By an act of faith, Abraham said, to God, said yes to God's call to travel to an unknown place that would become his home. When he left, he had no idea where he was going. By an act of faith, he lived in the country promised him, lived as a stranger camping in tents. Isaac and Jacob, the character for this story, did the same, living under the same promise. Abraham did it by keeping his eye on an unseen city with real, eternal foundations, the city designed and built by God. So what the passage is saying is that Jacob's family, his daddy and his granddaddy and his descendants were all travelers. They were all pilgrims and they were all sojourners. And in the same way, we as Christians are called to be sojourners. That doesn't mean you can only live in South Florida for a year and then you got to move somewhere else. It just means that you have to look at this life as temporary, as not your permanent home. And it says that the way that Jacob was able to do that and the way that his daddy and his granddaddy were able to do that is they had their mind on their true home. And we'll develop that and talk about that. In our story, Jacob is called to sojourn again. And he's called to go to Egypt, and he starts off that journey, that transition, that move. How many of you like to move? I'm never moving again. I don't like transition either, although we're moving as a church. But he starts off that journey by offering sacrifices, by worshiping, by orienting his heart to the God who rules and reigns, to the God who loves him. And as he worshiped, God confirms the sojourning. In other words, God's saying, I know you're leaving the land that I promised you, but I'm going to be with you, even though it seems like you're walking far away from what I promised you. God shows up and tells Jacob, I am, the, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. God's purposes are present and active in the pilgrimage. When you and I go through transition, and when we cannot seem to get settled in this life, and when things are just so uncomfortable all the time, we automatically assume that God's purposes have been turned off. That his presence is absent and that his promises are broken. But what happens with Jacob is that God confirms that in the midst of the sojourn, I am there, 
I am working and my promises are as true as ever. See, you and I think that if we're not comfortable, God must not be working. But God's purposes are active in the pilgrimage. His promises are true as we sojourn. And his presence is with you in the midst of constant transition. So Jacob goes down to Egypt and he meets Pharaoh and he tells Pharaoh, look, man, I'm, I'm a sojourner. I'm just traveling. I'm just getting around town. I don't really have a home. What's amazing about what Jacob shows us in that moment is just because he's in transition, just because he's sojourning, he doesn't stop doing what God wants him to do. God has been present with his family and the promise of his family is that I will bless you so that you can bless the nations. I will bless Abraham and Isaac and Jacob so that they can be a blessing to the nations. And even as Jacob sojourns and comes face to face with Pharaoh, he tells Pharaoh, I am a sojourner. And then he blesses him. He blesses him with his words, but then he blesses him by keeping Pharaoh's livestock for him. See, something happens when you and I are uncomfortable, then we start making excuses for not participating with God. Like, I know God wants me to do something, and I know that I'm supposed to be about what he's about, but I can only do that if I'm comfortable, if I'm not sojourning. But what Jacob shows us is in the midst of the sojourning, he doesn't even know where he's going to live yet. He comes face to face with Pharaoh, who's the most powerful man in that area at the time, and he takes part in God's purposes for him. He blesses Pharaoh, and he takes Pharaoh's livestock and keeps them. Can you align yourself with God and what he wants you to do, even if things are totally messed up in your life? Can you be uncomfortable and yet be about God's purposes? Because the tension is only going to get greater for Jacob. He goes and lives in the land of Goshen, which is outside of Egypt. His family is a family of shepherds. They're, they just keep livestock. And shepherds were disgusting to Egyptians. So he goes, lives in the land of Goshen. And things actually go pretty well there. Uh, things actually go pretty well there, but he knows that the promise for him is you're going to die there. God tells him before the journey even starts, your life will end outside of the promised land. So Jacob is living in tension. Things are going up, things are going down, but there's this constant tension for him that he is not living in his home. He's not living in the land that he has been promised by God. And yet he still has faith. He tells Joseph, when I die, take me back. Take me back. Bury me with my fathers in the land that God has promised. And as we look at Jacob, we see a man who's able to live with the tension of sojourning. Why? because he set his sights on something greater than his current situation, than the great, greater than the current season of life, and greater than the life he's currently living. And you'll be able to sojourn through this life. You'll be able to live in tension if you have your, your sights set on what God has promised. Hebrews 11 continues and talks about these people who've sojourned through life. And it says, each one of these people of faith died 
not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? Well, they saw it way off in the distance. They waved their greeting and they accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. Transients in this world. People who live this way make it plain that they are looking for their true home. If they were homesick for their old country, they would have gone back at any time they wanted. But they were after a far better country than that. Heaven country. You can see why God is so proud of them and has a city waiting for them. See, you'll be able to deal with the sojourning. You'll be able to embrace the mindset of a transient if you know that there's something better waiting for you on the other side. If you know that God has prepared a true home for you. So we live in this city, in Hollywood and Hallandale and Dania and wherever you live, but we have our minds on a different city. So we live in this city, but we obey the values of a coming city, Amen. a perfect city, yes, sir. a city where God is king and a city whose foundations were made by God. So let me give you a few tips if you're going to embrace the sojourner mindset here in our city. Don't settle in. Don't settle in. Don't expect home field advantage as a Christian. You know what home field advantage is? Home field advantage for the Miami Dolphins is when they play at home and they pull up to the park in their car. Someone opens the fence for them and they know their name and they come in and, and Ryan Tannehill parks his car and he gets out and all the fans are looking down at the parking lot and they're cheering for him. And then they go into their locker room and his jersey's hung up real nice and all the dolphin colors are in the locker room and the music that they want to listen to is on. And they get dressed and then they run out into their stadium, their home field, and everyone cheers for them. We're so glad you're here. That's home field advantage. And as followers of Jesus, we do not have home field advantage. We do not have home field advantage in this life. So don't expect that you're going to have home field advantage here. I see a lot of this happening right now in our political season. And what I see is people thinking that they can regain home field advantage through their voting decisions. People thinking that they can regain home field advantage through their voting decisions or permanently lose home field advantage. Let me encourage you to think of it this way. If you're a Christian, you've already lost home field advantage. That's right, that's right. You can't vote home field advantage back into power. Psalms 2 says that the kings of the earth rage against God and his anointed. And what that means is that if you're with Jesus, there is no nation set up on earth that is a Christian nation. The rulers of the earth are opposed to Jesus. And you cannot regain home field advantage through who you vote for. I mean, as we talk about this election, let me just unpack a few things for you. We realize that we're talking about the less bad candidate. We're no longer weighing virtues, we're weighing vices. Who has the least amount of vices? That should give us a clue that um, we're not here for home field advantage. And let me, let me encourage you to think, if, if you begin to know God's concern for the vulnerable and God's concern for justice and setting things right for the poor, 
and the least and those who have the least amount of power, both candidates violate God's concern for justice. Neither one of them upholds human dignity on the way that God does. Both of them fail to have a concern for people who are vulnerable. And, 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 and look, there's, there's different groups of vulnerable people. And if you just listen to them talk, after a while you will hear that they do not care about justice for a whole group of people. Now you need to wrestle with that because we're still talking about the less bad candidate. And I know that probably offends some of you, but maybe it needs to. Maybe it needs to unsettle you because we're also talking about a lack of character. A lack of character. You know, I think that if we were able to see one candidate confess and repent, it would change everybody's mindset towards them. Now, they might go to jail for that, but neither one of these candidates is known for being honest about how they violated the law and repenting of it. Both of them are covering things up. Carl Ellis, who is, a, uh, is an urban apologist, uh, he said at this conference I went to, he said, personally, I resent being given two bad options. And that's how you know, I feel. But so, so I, wanna, I wanna knock the candidates off their pedestal so that you see this. Neither one of them is gonna give you home field advantage. You're gonna have to have a major disagreement with either person that gets in, in office because of their lack of character and because of the way they violate God's justice and his concern for the vulnerable. And so let me encourage you, don't vote to keep home field advantage because if you're a Christian, you've already lost it. You're not on home turf in this life. So let me encourage you to vote with tears in your eyes. Vote with tears in your eyes. This world is not our home. We lost home field advantage in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they, they, they tried to make this world their home without God. They disobeyed him and they did their own thing and, and then they were sent on a journey outside of the garden. And we participate with Adam and Eve in their rebellion. And God being the man of the house is not a pushover. It must deal with our rebellion. And we risk being separated from God eternally if we do not turn to him in repentance. Although this world is no longer our home, Jesus sojourned from his home to restore us to God and make God our home. You're so uncomfortable in this world because if you know Jesus, your home is God. And you're really longing for something more than what you see here. See, Jesus in his great love towards us came and died as a substitute on the cross he was perfect, but he was put on the cross and punished for you, but did not stay in the grave. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and now he's, he's, he's ruling and reigning from the right hand of the Father. Amen. Amen. Now that should give you some comfort Hallelujah. in this political season. Yes, Whatever happens in early November, 
It is not outside of Jesus's control. That should give you an incredible hope that your candidate is ruling and reigning right now. Guess what? You can't vote them in and you can't vote them out. Hallelujah. <laughs> when he rose from the dead, he proved himself to be the rightful king. And anyone who is in office has to answer to him. Whether they know that now or not, they will answer to Jesus. Because one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And right now, Jesus is waiting to return. So don't settle in. Don't settle in because Jesus is coming back to make all things new. But let me encourage you, don't settle in, but also don't wait it out. Don't check out. When God's people were taken from the land of Canaan and went into exile in Babylon, their thought was, man, this will be over quick. We want to go back to that homeland, so we're just going to stay inside. And all these crazy Babylonians running around, we're just going to, we're going to let them be out there. And this should be over any minute. They checked out. They waited, they tried to wait it out. And God's command to them was, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I have brought you to Babylon, this land where you're in exile, this land where you're a sojourner. I brought you here for my purposes. So build houses, have children, marry your children off, grow gardens, seek the peace and prosperity of the city you live in. Because as you find, as you share peace in that city, so you will find your peace. See, the church often becomes a huddle, a group of us four and no more. And we're just gonna wait this out. The world's getting worse and all we're gonna do is lock arms and just protect our young. And we're not gonna engage with the deep brokenness in this city. And as Christians, we are called to go out into our city with our minds on the future city. Not checking out, but engaging in the deep broken problems in our city because we have an unquenchable hope of the new city. Of the new city. Maybe you don't have that hope, so I wanna read it to you. One of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible is at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21 and where we get the name for our church. John sees a vision and he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. John continues, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. By the way, you should be going amen right now. Amen, amen. <laughs> Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and they are true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. Anybody here spiritually thirsty? Oh, yes. Yes. I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Oh, 
The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Man, it's the new city. That's what it is. And in that new city, oppression is gone. In that new city, pain is gone. In that new city, darkness is eliminated forever. Evil is allowed nowhere near the city. There's no racial division. There's no injustice. There's no lying. There's no no arrogance. There's no covering up your past because your past has been brought into the light and forgiven. And that's the name of our church. Now you are a sojourner then you will be home. Now you are a sojourner, then you will be home. So let me encourage you, set your eyes and your hope on that city. Set your eyes and your hope on that city because if you do, you will be able to walk through this life not scared, not not panicky about this election season, but with great joy and great boldness because your king is on the throne and he has prepared a place for you that is home. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we, we worship you. And we just say, Lord, change us so that we long and love for what you have for us more than what you have here for us. Father, we pray that we would give ourselves over to you, that we might enter into this city with a deep hope so that we can sacrificially love our neighbor, not love them on our terms, but love them where they need to be loved, not scared by this election, but actually hopeful in you, knowing that whatever happens, you are still ruling and reigning from heaven. And this world is not our home, but the new city is. In Jesus' name we pray.